Welcome to the second season of Murder in 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder in 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. The internet opened up a whole new world to many. A world in which you can visit other countries and meet new people and socialize virtually. You can create a profile of who you are or who you wish to be. And what's the harm? In an online world, no one knows who you really are or where you live until you tell them. 24 years ago in 1998, gaming websites became popular. They offered free access to games, then expanded to offer perks to their subscribers, including exclusive members-only chat rooms and even private chat rooms. West Virginia is rugged territory, with country roads, rivers, and train tracks winding through the heart of the Appalachian Mountains. It's no surprise it's known as the Mountain State. In 2005, Mary Sheeler in West Virginia was a 50-year-old mother and wife who had become bored. Residing in a small ordinary house, she was short, frumpy, and overweight with short dark brown hair. Perhaps it was because her teenage daughter was now busy with her own life that she was feeling bored and lonely. Or perhaps she envied her daughter, who was beautiful, tall and smart, and had been named Miss Oakleaf in 2002. Looking for some excitement, Mary logged on to a gaming website with her screen name tall hot blonde and began exploring. She created a profile but didn't use her real birthday nor a photo of herself. Rather, she posted a photo of her teenage daughter and pretended she was 18 and looking to meet men. Six hours away in the state of New York in the small rural town of Clarence 46-year-old Thomas Montgomery was bored, too. Married with two teenage daughters, he'd worked the last 12 years at a mundane job in a tool factory. Fox News reported that he was also the president of his daughter's swim team and involved in his local church. Thomas spent hours on the family computer looking for something that his everyday life wasn't providing. He surfed websites and eventually landed in a chat room on a gaming site using the screen name Marine Sniper. He filled out his profile, including his actual age. One day, Tall Hot Blonde and Marine Sniper met in a teen chat room. Thomas would later say that he entered the teen's domain by accident, but instead of leaving, he stayed. A decision that would change the course of many lives 
and be his biggest regret. Tall Hop Lawn Instant Message Marine Sniper When he learned that her profile stated that she was 18, he presented himself as an 18-year-old Marine who just returned from Iraq. What could be the harm? It wasn't like they were ever going to meet. But Mary noticed his age in his profile and asked him about it. He was quick on his feet and told her he was using his dad's profile and that his name was Tommy. ABC News reported that Mary told Thomas she was a softball player and a senior in school and sent him photos of her daughter that she'd taken off her website and told him her real name was Jessie. Then she asked to see a photo of him. Thomas scrambled. He couldn't send her a photo of a balding middle-aged man with a pudgy face and glasses, so he dug out a 30-year-old photo of himself back when he was in the military. Although he spent six years in the Marine Corps, he never saw any action. But online, he could pretend to be a much more exciting version of his younger self. The photo he sent Mary was him in uniform with a stern look and pursed lips. His head shaved with the dark brim of his cap, perfectly horizontal above his dark eyes. At first, Mary and Thomas flirted like teenagers. Then over the months, it involved a virtual self-fulfillment. Thomas flipped between his two identities with Mary. Sometimes he played the role of the father. Other times, he was a son. In the back of his mind, he knew he should end it, but he couldn't. It was like a drug addiction. Not only did he look forward to spending time with Jesse every day online, he desperately needed it. Eventually, Mary and Thomas spoke on the phone. And it makes me wonder, did one of them not pick up on the other's age? But perhaps they were blinded by what they wanted to hear. They wrote each other love letters. She said, I love you always and forever, Tommy. And he wrote back, I have never felt this way. Without her daughter's knowledge, Mary took photos of her in her bathing suit, some provocative. And she sent them to Thomas. The couple exchanged gifts. Mary went so far as to send him a pair of red underwear in size small. But she didn't go to the store and buy a pair. Rather, she went into her daughter's room and stole them. Somewhere along the way, their distorted version of reality slipped into a warped fantasy. A world that pulled them in and held them tight. A world that neither could pull themselves away from. Mary and Thomas often talked twice a day, an instant message endlessly. They stay up all night communicating with each other. One night, Thomas's wife Cindy asked him to join her, but he couldn't pull himself away from the computer screen, away from Mary. Christmas in 2005 was approaching, 
and Mary and Thomas's families were getting ready for the holidays. But Thomas had something special in mind. He proposed to Mary, and she said yes. The problem was, they were both still married to other people. At work, Thomas shared with his co-workers that he was leaving his wife to be with Mary in West Virginia, but he didn't tell them her age. One of those co-workers was 22-year-old Brian Barrett, an easygoing, good-looking, athletic young man with short dark hair, a strong chin, and big smile. Brian spent his weekends hanging out with friends, grabbing some chicken wings, drinking beer, and playing pool. And in the summer, he spent his Sundays coaching Little League Baseball. Weekdays, Brian woke up at 6.30 a.m. and went to classes at college. His goal was to become a teacher. Afterwards, he headed off to the tool factory and worked the 3 to 10 p.m. shift to pay for his education. In February 2006, Cindy found the lingerie Mary had sent Thomas hidden away. Then one night, Thomas's daughter was on the computer when an instant message from Jessie popped up. She ran to tell her mother. Cindy delved into the computer and discovered Thomas's online affair. Not only was she disgusted with his actions, but that he played both father and son in a sick and perverted fantasy. Cindy wasn't going to take this lying down. She wrote Mary a letter. In it, she included a family photo and said, Let me introduce you to these people. The man in the middle is my husband. He is 46 years old. She went on to tell Mary that it appeared she was close in age to Thomas's own daughter. And she questioned how old Mary was and asked if she was even 18. If not, Thomas could be prosecuted as a child predator. Mary was furious. She had been duped. She texted Thomas telling him it's over and that he should go to jail for this. Now you would think at this point Mary would have given up on impersonating her daughter, but no, she doubled down. She recalled Thomas mentioning his co-worker Brian and emailed him to find out if everything Cindy said was true. Brian confirmed that yes, Thomas was indeed a round middle-aged man and not the young fit stud she thought he was. Then, in a rather bizarre twist, Mary began flirting with Brian. He was truthful and told her his real age and name. Still, she pretended to be 18-year-old Jesse. The two became an item. They didn't keep it to themselves, but rather for months used online forums to rub it in Thomas's face. They told people online about Thomas's fake identity and humiliated him. And the co-workers at the plant all knew about the rivalry between Thomas and Brian, all because of Mary. 
Then Mary became torn. She missed Thomas, so she contacted him and manipulated him, leading him on, saying things like she ate to be with him. Thomas was over the moon. She knew his real age, and it didn't matter. But it didn't last long. Mary broke up with him again, destroying him. Their two-year affair was over. Her rejection sent Thomas into a downward spiral. Just when he thought he'd hit rock bottom, he found out Brian was planning to drive to West Virginia to see Mary. Brian did drive to West Virginia, but when he contacted Mary to say that he was nearby, she texted him and turned him away. Thomas felt the ultimate betrayal and couldn't let go. Why had she come back? Only to tease him and play with his emotions? So he fought back with words. For months, the three of them exchanged angry messages back and forth. His messages were obscene and vile. He called her a whore and told her she could say goodbye forever to he and Tommy. September 15th was a Friday morning. Brian woke up as usual at 6.30 a.m. His parents and younger brother headed out camping and he left for school. At 3 p.m. he started his shift at the factory. Thomas's obsession had climaxed to the point of revenge. Rage and jealousy consumed him. He grabbed his 30 caliber rifle out of his gun cabinet. That night, under darkness, he waited in the parking lot at the factory. At 10.15 p.m., Brian walked out, strode over to his pickup truck, and got in. Thomas pulled the trigger. A shot rang out, then another, and another. A bullet hit Brian in the neck. His body slumped forward. Brian was dead at 22. Brian's parents arrived home Sunday morning. As soon as they walked through the door, they realized something was wrong. The cats hadn't been fed, and Brian was nowhere to be found. An hour later, they heard a knock on the door. Daniel opened it to see the sheriff. He knew it could only be bad news and asked if Brian was okay. At the factory, investigators quickly learned of the online affair and love triangle between Mary, Thomas, and Brian. Police tried to locate Thomas, and when they couldn't, were concerned he'd headed to Mary's. They tracked her address down in West Virginia and knocked on her door. They got a shock when instead of seeing a young hot blonde named Jessie, Frumpy middle-aged Mary stood before them. Under questioning, she admitted to everything. 
Using finds found in computer records, investigators learned all the explicit details. Ten weeks after the murder, Thomas was arrested and charged with second-degree murder. CNN reported that in jail, Thomas was handed a picture of Mary and told that that was the real Jesse, the one he knew as Tall Hop Blonde. Thomas turned white as a sheet. He had just learned that he'd thrown his life away for a virtual affair that could never be real. Prosecutors in Buffalo wanted to hold Mary accountable. She had danced between the lines and came very close to going over it, but she didn't break any laws at the time and could not be charged. Although she didn't serve time and pay for her part in Brian's death, she lost her family. Her husband divorced her and her daughter moved out. Thomas lost his family too. His wife divorced him and his daughters disowned him. In August 2007, Thomas appeared in court to plead guilty to manslaughter. When the judge asked him, if he had intended to kill Brian, he answered no. Then his lawyer nudged him, and he quickly changed it to yes. The prosecutor asked for a 25-year term, but the judge sentenced him to 20 years. Buffalo News reported that Brian's parents agreed to the plea deal, as it meant he would serve more prison time that had been gone to trial and was convicted of second-degree murder. In his jail cell, Thomas attempted to take his life, but was unsuccessful. He is prisoner number 07B3808. He will be eligible for parole in 2024, when he will be 65. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Maria Rudolph. Little Maria was seven when a stranger showed up that dark, snowy night. It took a deathbed confession and 53 years to convict Johnny. But then an FBI report hidden from trial, would change everything they thought they knew. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon paypal or murder20.com we'd like to acknowledge purple planet for use of their music sound effects and fasting studios and quick sounds and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website be sure to like share and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every wednesday stay safe sleep with the lights on and don't play with strangers <laughs>